the topic we're going to concentrate on is a lifetime of loving the city of London. Michael, um, you've been in London for, um, is it 25 years? Uh, more like 40 plus, but let's not 40, is it? Over 40, yeah. <laughs> well, that's something new to me. Um, it's the accent, I can't lose it. <laughs> so what made you choose uh, London as opposed to other places? And I think you have in the past expressed a view about um, when you started uh, your business in London. When uh, in this country there were business inadequacies at that time? Well, uh, like so many people, Derek, I came to London by accident, or so many people do in their youth to any city. Um, I actually came here from Geneva. I was running a global project on mapping in the late 70s, early 80s. And to be frank, uh, if you recall that period when Britain was very much the sick man of Europe, uh, when the streets were piled high with rubbish, and Senator Margaret Thatcher came to power in 79, and we looked at it and wondered if this might become a change for London. And I was sent here by the Swiss to have a look, and I, that was in late 79. And I concluded we might come back if uh, Thatcher could execute some of her reforms, which she did. And we began to look seriously at locating in not London, but uh, England. Uh, and we put a, a shop together up in Cambridge of about 30 people doing digital mapping. This won't sound very good to our audience, but the reason we chose England and the reason we chose Cambridge was cheap labor. We could get a, a Cambridge graduate for about 1,700 pounds from memory in those days. And we were doing a lot of advanced mapping techniques, et cetera, which we brought in here. So we did not go to Cambridge. For the university, there was one competitor uh, in our field on the science park, who was the only resident of the science park who went bust. Uh, we, we were very successful. Uh, and created the first digital maps of the world, which we launched on CD-ROMs in 1983. And, and this was a Swiss company? Very much so. Yes. And still is? Uh, it, it, uh, the, the owner died when the company was, it was several hundred people, uh, nearly a thousand people, and it was sold into IHS, which is now IHS market. Hmm. Yeah, that was very much a Swiss firm. And I believe you um, had some regrets about setting up in... Cambridge, for instance? Well, well, setting up anywhere in England would have been regrets. I remember the M25 didn't exist at that time, so transportation was terrible. Uh, we were very dependent on American technology, particularly Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, and Versatech, which are names that nobody will know any longer. Um, but we had had better service in Switzerland and Dublin because the engineers doing repairs would have to get on the aircraft with all their spare parts. Whereas they loved uh, clocking up the mileage to Cambridge and going, hmm, very interesting problem. I'll go back and get the right spare parts so they can clock up the mileage and, and earn it. If you remember the way that the old mileage credits work. Yes. Uh, the government had promised us System X, which again will be a mystery to people here, but it was going to be the first uh, digital exchange in Britain and it didn't work. And meanwhile, in Switzerland, we had all of these things. Um, so the cost savings were really important, or we probably would have closed up shop. Um, but things changed, and things changed enormously in the UK over the last 40-plus years. For the better? Uh, for the most part, yes, mm. I, I would think so. Mm. We've got a lot of social issues, but if you're looking purely at the economics, I would say the changes uh, between what I observed in 1979, coming here in 1980, one, two, and three, because we came here in stages, 
um, and possibly up until 2016, we're broadly possible. And and you've um, stayed here for a apparent reason that um, you feel comfortable here? Oh, I, I think it's more than comfort. I love the place. Uh, mm. um, I came down to the city of London in 1984 because our project had largely ended. I was still involved with it, but it had ended. And I thought, wow, there's an enormous opportunity in the freeing up of the city capital markets to put computers into things. And again, I think most modern listeners, perhaps even listeners our age, would struggle to remember how absolutely antiquated things were at that period. Um, we just had the first ATM, I think, in 76 or 7 from Barclays. There's a very antiquated system all around, and, and, and in other countries as well. I, I'm not claiming Britain was significantly behind. But the freeing up of the markets meant that computerization would be rife. So I came down to the city to put computers into finance. Um, that's one of the reasons I sort of resent the word fintech, because that's what I've been doing, has been putting tech into fin. And in fact, I even argue with the tech bit. I've been putting IT into fin, uh, which is fairly obvious. Yes. There's no such thing as a fintech business. There's a computer business that's supporting a finance business, or a mm. finance business that depends on a computer business. Why would you do it any other way? Yeah. Well, apparently, um, London has been very successful in uh, encouraging the uh, development of fintech companies. Yes, um, you hear the hesitation there. I did. Uh, my, my point would be, I think, twofold. Um, well, maybe threefold. The first point I would make is that uh, London's financial markets strength is in the wholesale markets. And as I said a moment ago, those have been fintech about really since the 80s. And, increasing amounts of tech. So these are the derivatives exchanges, interdealer brokers, all this stuff's moving. Most people never know it. That's London's great strength. People from around the world need to come to London for that. They do not come to London for Barclays account or Lloyd's account. They come They come for that work. Mm. Um, when you move on to the retail sector, a lot of our fintech there is, um, well, it's not actually very successful in, in earnings terms. And much of it is actually anti-AML stuff. It's overcoming an obstacle we put in our own way, which is these uh, ridiculous anti-money laundering procedures. I'm a key fan on anti-money laundering, but it could be much stronger and simpler um, done, done in many other ways. The third thing on fintech is uh, it's not wholesale, uh, and it's and it's not got to do with AML. It's obviously got to do with business. Well, there the numbers get quite funny. So the government adopted fintech about 10, 12 years ago as a great government success, which was therefore going out and land grabbing stuff that had already existed. A, a huge chunk by percentage, at one point I think it was 40% of uh, the so-called fintech industry in the UK um, was actually a, a firm set up by RBS in 1999. Um, so so uh, is that fintech, if you see what I'm driving at? Um, and then we've got a, a couple of, we do have some successes here, don't get me wrong, um, but everybody is competing um, and claiming uh, double counting, frankly, investments. So a lot of uh, US money landed in the UK, uh, defined as foreign direct investment, but actually left the UK almost immediately to be invested in French, German, Italian fintech. So if you look operationally, uh, Berlin has about half to as many uh, fintech workers as London does. Do recall that Berlin is a quarter the size of London. So these numbers are quite suspicious mm. uh, and they're government marketing numbers. 
Uh, and I'm not saying we've done badly at FinTech, far, far from it. We've had Innovate UK level 39, but a lot of great things in this space. But all told, I, I believe the last numbers where we had about 75 to 80,000 workers across the entire nation in FinTech, which is not a lot to show for 10 years of mega global success. Mm. Well, you're opening my eyes um, about a lot of things. For instance, the uh, Berlin experience mm. uh, with a quarter of the population and um, more successful. Well, you got to look at the case of Berlin. This is where retail wholesale is really crucial. And I, 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 nobody comes to Britain for the retail banking experience. It's one of the worst in the OECD, whether it's Lloyd's, RBS, or, or what have you. Um, what they do come for is that wholesale bit. But if you go to Germany for retail, uh, you, you got to look at the difference in market concentration. So the United Kingdom, I think it's four banks control just just over 80% of personal current accounts, something like mm -hmm. that. In Germany, uh, that's split amongst uh, almost 1,800 banks. So when you come with a fintech product to a British firm, which is running in an oligopolistic situation, they're not really that keen on much more market share. Their, their view of fintech is slightly different. If you go to Germany, you might actually make some marketing manager's day. She or he is going to be thrilled to see you. This is the product that might make my career. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a different market. On the wholesale side, it's almost the reverse. Uh, you go into a, a German uh, wholesale firm. Uh, frankly, they're not that many. They probably wouldn't know what you're doing. And they're also rounds in the wholesale markets. You go into a London-based, I shouldn't say UK firm, a London-based wholesale markets firm, and they're going to look at that as a potential competitive advantage. Interesting. But... Um... You say 1,800 banks in, in Germany. Does that not mean they fail more easily? Well, bank failure is a good thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's the usual thing that you're just stoking up problems. So if, I'll take these numbers from uh, pre the financial crisis, of, and I said crisis plural, uh, 2007, 2008. Um, but in 2007, there were approximately 8,000 banks in America um, Britain had about 50 deposit-taking institutions, so you can see the huge discrepancy. Multiply the British numbers by five or six, depending on how you like it, but mm. that's 250. It's nowhere near 8,000. Uh, the German experience about 1,800. Uh, there's some interesting issues if we had more time to talk about um, the paucity of competition, say the Canadian or the Australian markets, but contrasting um, the markets across the board, what you begin to realize is we hadn't had a bank failure since uh, overend and gurney which is in the 1840s i believe um so we hadn't had a failure for ages. we didn't know how banks fail in america uh, at that time in 2007 they had about 150 banks fail yes. per year so they were used to bank failure banks fail banks should fail and, and new what, banks should be created what, what do the investors lose when a bank fails well they, they should lose their their their, their share values yes. and that. the uh, consumer ought to be protected up to a certain degree but it wasn't then was it in well, america no, it was very much so in america oh really was they, it? they were used to 150 banks failing every year they were used to creating about 150 banks every year and during the financial crisis that number doubled they had about 300 banks fail every year now since the financial crisis the americans have really tightened up on the regulation of retail banks such that there have been 
uh, very few new banks formed. And, and because if you look at that failure rate of 150 to 300 over the intervening years, it's now down to, I believe, somewhere around the 5,000 mark. So America has a bank creation problem that it didn't have pre-2007. Britain hasn't created any new banks of substance uh, and has uh, spent all of its time consolidating. And for those readers who or listeners who don't want to don't want to believe any of this before you get back at me, I would urge you to to look at the 2000 UK government's Crookshank report on the state of British banking, which concluded that the banking sector uh, 23 years ago was grotesquely over-concentrated and need to be broken up and would lead to instabilities and insolvencies. So the failures on the retail level of what I would call systemic retail crises uh, were Iceland, Ireland, and Britain, all three characterized by having three or four banks controlling everything, no new bank creation, and no ability to handle bank failures. Mm. Those create systemic retail crises. America did not have a systemic retail crisis. did have some major failures. Wachovia is a good example. Uh, America had a Wall Street problem where they went from 15 banks uh, on the wholesale capital markets to 12. Uh, that is uh, Bear Stearns holding, Lehman Brothers holding, and uh, Merrill Lynch holding into Bank of America. Mm. So that was a different problem. And, uh, and these two problems are conflated all the time. Yes. Very different causes, very different effects. Yes. Can we go on to um, Knowledge Mile? Oh, sure. And how that will um, influence um, our future success? Well, um, what Derek's referring to is um, I am uh, subject to election as the senior uh, alderman below the aldermanic chair in the City of London, uh, likely to be uh, the next Lord Mayor of the City of London from the 10th of November this year. Uh, and here is uh, where things get much more exciting. Um, firstly, uh, the idea is to address some of our current problems, which I would boil down to uh, the changing nature of cities, which while people kind of look at as theoretical, from a City of London perspective, that's absolutely crucial. We have the most intense commuter city in the world. We drop 587,000 people on one square mile. You know, that's that's almost insane. There's no city with that significant concentration. Manhattan spreads them across six square miles, not quite the same commuter numbers. Tokyo moves people all over the city, but not to a single zone. So we're very intense, and that changing nature of cities is a, a threat and an opportunity. And, and is this concentration of people a large percentage of the success of London? Very much so. The, the entire infrastructure and geography of the city was largely dictated around the 1850s as the railways came. Interestingly, the early railways were meant to get people living outside of the city. Um, many other cities in the world, Paris, New York, so the railways were designed to get people in to work, but yes. London, they were designed to get people to work, <laughs> to live outside, sort of an interesting yes. uh, challenge there. Um, and, and it's that unique nature that's made the city fantastic. We, as you walk the streets of the city, you know that over 98% of the people there are there to work. Uh, they're not there to walk the dog or to <laughs> buy a pint of milk. Um, and this leads to a culture of punctuality, at least a culture where it's not rude to say to somebody in the pub, hey, Derek, what do you do for a living? Yeah. Uh, somebody did that to me a couple of months ago in the ship, a young 
insurance broker. What do you do for them? Because we're waiting for a beer. Nothing wrong with that. You try doing that in Hertfordshire or something, and you, you've you uh, kind of done the yes. wrong thing in the pub. Yes. Oh. So it's a very business-oriented um, city. But uh, does not the um, growth of working from home work in opposition to the success? Exactly. Mm. So the numbers are that we're somewhere between 20 and 40% down, call it a third down on pre-pandemic levels in the city. And it it makes sense. People are saying, well, I can work from home. So why do I want to go through that grind every day if I only go through that grind two days or three days a week? But this is the challenge. Um, And I would say there are three opportunities here. One is uh, there's a lot of argument, we'll convert to residential. That's interesting. But if you do that, one, commercial buildings make for residential houses. So arguably the city would be a very poor Westminster. But the second thing is you're giving up your one unique characteristic before you pause and think, what could I do with it? Yes. What could you do with it? Well, the second thing uh, you might be able to do with it is to actually turn yourself into a better international destination. Business travel is dropping quite significantly and has been up actually before the pandemic, dropped by about 8% in the Scandinavian countries in 2019. So if you, if it's dropping like that, systems theory will tell you people concentrate on fewer nodes. And I think those two nodes could be Singapore and London, where people actually say, look, I'm going to travel less. I still need to meet people internationally. So I'm going to go to fewer places and sit there, and other people will come there as well and get those deals done. Mm. So that concentration I spoke about earlier becomes fantastic. Interestingly, uh, that combines with... Uh, what's been hidden from a lot of people, which has been a huge growth of hotels around the city of London. There are a lot of hotels, many more hotels than there were 15 years ago. And of course, the third option is to just sit there and wait for it to return to normal. Yes. But um, working from home um, eliminates is this. Um, I'll just go and talk to Harry. He's over the corridor there. Yep. Um, you can't do that um, because. A Zoom meeting has to be prepared. Um, by the time you prepare it, it, probably a lot of your energy is dissipated. Well, I'm not going to defend working from home or, or, or online work is the, the greatest thing since ever. It's got its drawbacks, but it also has its upsides. So what if Harry is absolutely the right person to make a decision? What if Harry A is right 60% of the time and Harry B is right 80% of the time? Okay, but Harry B is in Tokyo. Yeah. Right. Would you rather call Tokyo and get Harry B's decision and up your rate of success by twenty percent? Yes. Or deal with the fact that Harry A, whose decisions aren't really that good, is just around the corridor. So these are these are the problems I think real firms face, and the, I. I do see a lot of people my age in media. I'm going to get everybody back in the office. I can't believe that they're not back in the office. They're all skyping from home. Well, uh, we uh, at CN uh, run a research firm. So our research teams uh, tend to find it much easier to work at home. So I'm not claiming that we are an exemplar for other people. But the interesting thing to me was that I live in Wapping, which is uh, basically halfway between the city and Canary Wharf. And the city is characterized by deal-making and interaction. Canary Wharf is characterized by kind of uh, bulk warehousing and uh, large large buildings where people work largely internally. Yes. Canary Wharf went dark because everybody wound up working from home. And they found out that when I'm working from home and I'm only working with people inside my own firm, 
doesn't really make a lot of sense to have to put on a suit and tie and, and trek in. So Canary Wharf's having a very, very hard time. Mm. Um, so I think it's the, it's the need to meet other people, not the convenience. Mm. This is something we haven't debated properly, I mm. think. And uh, do we want a Canary Wharf? I think obviously we do. Um, do we want to let it um, uh, fade away? Obviously we don't. No. Mm. No, I, I love Canary Wharf to be vibrant, but all these places need to be included. So need to be vibrant for the right reasons, and mm. we're adding value. You know, this is not meant to be some kind of a, you know, some kind of prison sentence that you know, thou shalt come into the city of London day in and day out in a suit and tie, and be chained to thy desk. Yes, I mean, it should be because I'm more productive. Here. Yes, should we go back to Knowledge Mile? Yes, and, yes, I, I did. I did decrease myself. And how myself, that will. You know? Influence so, um, um, fair trade, um, hopefully improve productivity, and um, a- attract uh, overseas companies to settle here. Well, the, the theme that I'm developing um, in, in subject to election has been uh, well, it's called uh, Connect to Prosper. So it's about celebrating the knowledge connections that London has around the world. Britons are neither smarter nor dumber than any other people, but they are actually very well connected uh, and always have been. Uh, The second thing is a bit of a leveling up, to use the local jargon, Uh, and that's that actually the city has been, has more scientists, engineers, and technicians than it has uh, bankers and insurers. Yes. And always has. Uh, This dates back to the 16th century when Gresham College was founded, 17th century when the Royal Society emerges, and all the way through. In fact, uh, the city of London was 25% of British manufacturing by value uh, before the war. So it's always been that way, but it's been a bit hidden. The the bankers and insurers have taken the high ground. Um, We at the corporation are trying to bring that out without denigrating anybody else. Uh, And we, in fact, had our first uh, technology and innovation dinner at Mansion House last month, which went extremely well, but absolutely packed. There's no problem. It's just that we not perhaps encourage these as much as we would like to. Mm. And I would like to spend my year bringing that further forward. But I would argue, so what? You got a bunch of bright, well-connected people. Big deal. Yes. Um, And I've been pointing out that they're there to solve problems. Um, So the world sat down eight years ago and came up with the 17 sustainable development goals. These are problems of climate change, poverty, hunger. Great. Well, let's get to it. That's what the, that's what London is about, is bringing mm. people together and working out creative solutions. Uh, and I call it knowledge miles um, because... Which, which is not your term. I think it's it's uh, knowledge mile exists in Netherlands, doesn't it? Uh, there, there is a knowledge mile in Amsterdam. Yes, uh, with I, the I, same title. Uh, no, uh, so firstly, um, I, I'm talking about the knowledge miles, plural. Uh, the second thing is that I, I'm riffing off of square mile. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, we talk here in London about the square mile. Yes. It's, it's neither square nor a mile. It's about 1.2 square miles, and it's a little bit oblong. Mm. But anyway, it's always been referred to as a square mile. Uh, and we have multiple square miles. So we've got finance. We've got insurance. We've got science. We have 40 institutions, uh, 70 universities, and 130 research institutes within 1.5 miles of here. But mm. 
Um, so it's that, it's that concentration. Uh, we've got media industries, we've got uh, communications industries, et cetera. And the point there is about that multidisciplinary, I'm sorry, multidisciplinary aspect of problem solving, that all of these can be deployed against the 17 SDGs. So in short, you know, connect to prosper is the, what you might call almost the corporate theme. Um, if you're running a Patagonian wind farm project solely for Patagonians, you'd still be a fool not to bring it to London and kick it around for two weeks because you'll find out about some new insurance mechanisms or finance or a new turbine. It's, it's not about finance only. Well, that's that's new to me. You're saying people would want to come to London um, to clarify their thoughts. Uh, to just test them in, in yes. what I call the world's coffee house. Hmm. So those are kind of three bits, connect to prosper, using our knowledge miles yes. in the world's coffee house to solve the world's problems. Why would they come to London rather than Paris? Because they will get the greatest concentration of connected knowledge workers. I see. Yes. And so your knowledge mile will be um, inspiring. I, I would hope it is. Hmm. I mean, as you as you examine issues of productivity... Which, which Britain has not scored well on. Mm. Um, although productivity in the city of London is inordinately high, uh, the city of London's got, I think from memory, about 3% of the working population and generates about 10% of GDP and about 10% of the tax take. Yes. So it's a very productive area. It'd be nice if the rest of the country was productive, uh, as productive, but there are issues with that and there are issues with measurements. So it, it's a cheap shot. Um, the deeper shot, is that productivity probably consists of four things. Um, the first is a, a skilled workforce, uh, because as, as we've seen around the world, you know, countries with no natural resources like Switzerland can thrive if they've got a well-trained workforce. Mm. Um, second thing we, we see is the need to ensure that there is adequate investment and opportunities to invest. And you can look at a number of third world countries with bright populations which struggle with that. Uh, third thing is to make sure that there's speed in the area. Well, that's that, the opposite of speed is, uh, one might argue, too much regulation. So you want to make sure regulation is appropriate, but you also want innovation. You want to make sure people are on the cutting edge and are able to adapt and change without yes. too many impediments. Yes. So those are your three big ones. Um, but I would add to all of that connections. You need to be connected. So there's no point in all those things being really, really good in silos. You'd be able to say, boy, Derek, what we've got here in our finance department is not a finance problem. What we have is a gaming problem. What? But there's a games company around the corner that can help us with that. And yes. that sort of speed of connection yes. as well. Um, I, I have not been aware of this aspect of London and I read widely in the financial pages, but that doesn't seem to be emphasized enough. Well, I, th I think there are a few reasons for it. I mean, one is many of the scientists, engineers, and technicians are supporting financial services firms. Uh, secondly, we've got the constant brand. But thirdly, you just said, I read the financial pages. So what did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, finance is the most important thing. So... I think there are angles here, and one could overdo this, but I, I'm trying not to focus on who with what skills is doing what. I'm more focused on what are we achieving. So we're hoping to achieve the solution to these problems. So it yes. may turn out that solving, um, oh, I don't know, was it SGG4, Life Underwater, 
involves scientists and engineers, whereas solving hunger involves no scientists and engineers, possibly. Maybe it's all to do with involving insurers or something. So those balances yes. don't necessarily just cascade down. But the important thing is I'm focused on getting the right people solving the problems. Yes. Will you be able to measure the success of Knowledge Mile? Well, Knowledge Miles, um, you know, Connect to Prosper um, is going to be hard to measure. It's like measuring the success of any marketing campaign. Mm. At the end of the day, uh, Lord Mayor is privileged uh, to have a year able to uh, execute some kind of concept that I'm using this to change, hopefully, views of the City of London Yes, a little bit. Uh, augment them really. It's not that they're wrong; they just need to be augmented. Yes. Uh, but I would hope at the end of the year, maybe, maybe, maybe two things. Uh, one is this: uh, a greater recognition that London is a problem-solving place, not just finance problem-solving place. So a, a little bit of boost there. And the second thing would be that um, I guess I, I like the I, I'd like the attitude that I come to London to get things done. Yes. And as I say, I was not aware of this until you and I started speaking, um, because I see no publicity of that aspect of um, London's success. And that's the role of Lord Mayor. Uh, a few few Lord Mayors ago, uh, one of them picked up the cudgel of promoting the culture in the city of London. People think about London as a cultural city, but they forget that the city of London, I think, is the third largest supporter of the arts. So that's an example. Um, my predecessor, uh, is the current Lord Mayor, is looking at financing our future. Uh, before him, uh, Lord Mayor Keaveny was looking at people and purpose and the skills uh, issues. So each Lord Mayor picks a theme uh, to do the marketing. So we've got a year of, of good marketing. Yes. But this isn't meant to be a downer. Uh, part of your difficulty when you've got marketing is you almost have to look for the faults to figure out whether you're going to use the marketing to improve. And you can't improve a bad product. So you, to some degree, you have to make sure that what you're looking at is either a product that can be fixed or a misperception of the product. Yes. Um, so I, I, I think here in this case, I'm lucky. It's a misperception of the product. The uh, people using too much about finance, uh, as yes. a, so they miss also the, uh, the science and technical capabilities of the city. Um, but but the other thing too is one should aspire, um, and and to me that's one of the great things about the city of London. It's the, the one way of expressing the city of London, which is confusing to many people on the outside, is we are the oldest democratic workers cooperative. In the world, uh, the workers get the vote. Um, it's been democratic since about 640, 650 AD. And it's always been having continuous elections. It's very much a cooperative. And the whole issue is trying to make this place more productive. So people say, yeah, but you know, you should be you should be celebrating. I am. But you've also got to recognize that you don't have to be ill to get better. <laughs> you know, that you should aspire to improve, even if you were at the top yes. of your game. Um, but I think given many of the challenges around the world, we are we are not at the top of our game, but we're at the top of the pile. So let's see yes. if we can get to the top of our personal game and be even, even further ahead on the pile. Well, we hear a lot about the failures of Britain, and yet we're still up there in the G7. Yep. Um, and, and perhaps what we need more of is... Um, what you're planning with Knowledge Mile 
dissemination of our um, opportunities. Yeah. Mm. And also that people should recognize that our contribution is at the center of those networks. Mm. And that's a great position to be in um, because you want other people to succeed. We want all the people on our network to be better off because it yes. makes us better off. Yes. Whereas if you're sitting out at some uh, endpoint node, you will take a much more competitive view of it. Um, and I, I constantly point out that in finance, but in, in everything, uh, scientific research, et cetera, it, it's basically two parties all the time doing transactions. Yes. You don't win if there's only one party doing the transaction. So it's great to recognize this and to be a cooperative center. Yes. Far, far more than trying to be competitive. So um, it's time now to say goodbye. And I think it thank is. you very much, Professor Michael Minelli. Well, it's great to have a fellow lover of the City of London here. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully some of these discussions uh, move other people's thinking, uh, not, not forward, but challenge it so that they too can contribute. I'm personally sorry to leave this discussion with Michael, who incidentally is the chairman of ZN, a leading think tank on societal advances, based, as you might have guessed, in the City of London. His thoughts are always interesting, original, and sometimes controversial. I hope this will be the first of more discussions with him because his depth of knowledge is, in my view, unparalleled. Thank you so much for listening.